Are you ready? You better get ready. Get ready to dive into the heart of local sports action. Broadcasting live from the heartland of Missouri. Welcome to the SEMO Scramble on SEMO ESPN. Get set. Because it's time to catch up on the latest local highlights, in-depth analysis, and interviews from the Blue Deal and beyond. Here we go. With your host, Rusty Hendricks and Jess Todd. And good Saturday morning to you. It is the SEMO Scramble here on SEMO ESPN. That's 1220 AM, 93.5 FM, and online at SEMOESPN.com. Well, special announcement here this morning as I have a uh, a guest here at the studio and some news. So let's hear the voice of uh, my guest today. How's it going, Rusty? I appreciate you for having me on and looking forward to co-hosting with you here down uh, every Saturday. Hey, Clay Harrell. How about that? Clay Harrell of the Southeast Missourian and SEMO Ball, and he'll be joining us each week, our new co-host here for the SEMO Scramble, and, and appreciate the time that uh, Jess Todd was able to spend with us, and, but Clay Harrell joining us, and thanks so much, man. It's going to be fun. Always. I'm uh, excited for it. i got big shoes to fill because you and Jess did awesome stuff, but I'm looking <laughs> forward to working with you. All right. Should be fun, man. Appreciate the time, and you know, we'll we'll keep a similar format, and obviously you you know delve into local sports a ton. You know, with the the high school ranks, and also uh, with a little bit of the Red Hawks and and without. So so look, we're going to be talking all kinds of things. Obviously, some local sports. We'll be touching on Cardinals. Uh, New York, you're a big Cardinals Blues fan, so we'll be touching on that as well uh, throughout you know the weeks to come. But uh, First of all, uh, did you have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah, I did. It was busy just going around. Uh, my girlfriend's from Fairview Heights, so I had some about an hour and a half difference from my hometown to hers, so a lot of driving, but can't complain. Got to see family and friends, and it was a good weekend. Awesome. And we'll just dive right into it, Clay. Uh, you know, last, uh, last week we kind of rounded out here on the show about uh, some of the state action in football, and, well, that's all pretty much over with now is – uh, all the Heartland teams have pretty well finished, and we'll go through a little high school football wrap-up. First of all, already been announced the Carr Trophy, okay? That's kind of the pre- most prestigious award, I would say, in this area for football players. The Carr Trophy has been announced and well-deserved, I think, and Jamarion Smith winning that Carr Trophy of Portageville ran for over 2,000 yards, 240, 200 Sorry, 2,463 rushing yards, 48 touchdowns. Uh, He was just dominant all year long. I mean, it it was fun to watch him run. You look at just on paper, 48 touchdowns is almost jaw-dropping just over the course of the season. I mean, that's unbelievable. And obviously, Jamarion Smith, uh, Seema Ball, Offensive Player of the Year last year, probably going to be in the running this year. I mean, an incredible talent, and he's already, I think, uh, helping Portageville on the basketball court as well. That's right. And, you know, Portageville had an excellent season. Also, guys, Adrian Fox of Jackson, and we saw Mark Panagas of Scott City in the running. It was Panagas who won that card trophy last year, but Smith gets the edge this year. And talking about the team that Portageville lost to, that was Marionville. Um, you know, that was a, the two teams, really the two best teams in the state, and it probably proved to be so as Marionville went on to win the Class 1 state championship they had a twenty-nine to nothing win over North Platte. Remember, it was a was a three-point game, I believe it was seventeen, fourteen, something like that in the the game with Portageville. So, 
I think that's fair to say it pretty much was the state championship in that game. Yeah, I mean, and all season long I was voting in the state media poll, and in Class 1 it was Portageville 2, Marionville 1. There was no movement there at all. They just proved to be the two most consistent teams there, top Class 1, and it's a shame they had to meet, and I think it was the quarterfinals, wasn't it, Rusty? I mean, it kind of felt like, yeah. like you said, that game was maybe the state championship when it happened. Yeah, that, those two teams were, again, neck and neck all year long, and again, Marionville winning the state championship. In Class 2, Valley Catholic has a chance out of St. Jim. They face Lamar today at 3 p.m. in Columbia, so good luck to Valley. And then also yesterday, Clay in Class 3, Park Hills wins the state championship with a 48-34 win over Seneca. So Park Hills, congrats to them. I believe that was the first ever state championship in football. Yeah, I mean, and to kind of tie it back here to Cape Central, you got to be feeling pretty good if you're the Tigers. Your schedule featured Park Hill Central, who you went on the road and beat. Hillsborough's playing for a state title today. And then Cardinal Ritter, who you ousted you there wow. in the Final Four, won their state title yesterday. So talk about the strength of schedule for Kent Gibbs and his Tigers. I mean, the road wasn't easy for them. And, I mean, three state champions on the schedule, potentially three. Pretty impressive stuff. Now, you mentioned Hillsborough. They do take on Kearney today at 11 a.m., so not too long after our show for the Class 4 state championship. You alluded to Cardinal Ritter, the team that defeated uh, Cape Central, and to go on to the state championship was Cardinal Ritter. They won that state championship in Class 5 over Republic, 38-25. to So you mentioned it. Boy, uh, it kind of puts in perspective the run that Cape Central had and kind of a slow start to the season and the way they ended and, again, that just puts in perspective how good of a team that they really were. This is my second year in this area covering sports. And for Cape Central, I felt like I was covering them last year again. It was like the same thing. It was that Jackson game, I think, flipped the switch for them. And, I mean, they just go right back to work after that week. And they, they took advantage defensively of some mistakes the other teams made. And it was like that just was their driving force. Talking to Kent Gibbs, you know, all season long was like the defense just got better. The offense started to figure out the passing game. And, I mean, I think next year's a prime year for them as well. I don't think they lose much offensively. And anytime you have Keyshawn Boyd and Zaire Thomas yep. coming back, I think you're going to be all right. That's right. And in Class 6, CBC Liberty North, that'll be at 7 p.m. today. So that's a look at your high school football wrap-up and the state playoffs. So good luck to those teams still participating. But let's move to some high school basketball. We'll get a little rundown in. A ton of games going on last night. A ton of tournaments uh, many of them finishing up. There'll be another one finishing up today. We'll talk about a little bit as well, Clay. But let me run through some of the scores, and then we'll get to, um, you know, maybe more of the breakdown. But last night, I know the game that you were at in New Madrid, the girls' SEMO Conference Tournament, Notre Dame, their fifth straight conference tournament championship with a two-point victory over Jackson, 46-44. So Notre Dame getting it done again and then in boys, we moved to boys basketball in the Woodland Invitational Tournament. It was Woodland winning 73-60 to for the championship. The Oran Invitational, always a fun one. Kelly against a pretty scrappy Richland team, I think, will be uh, pretty fun to watch uh, in Class 1 this year. Uh, Kelly winning 67-59 to over Richland. The Bernie Invitational, another team that's kind of come up, uh, should have a pretty good year. Puxico, 59 winners over Risco, 59-55. to in the Gideon Bulldog Classic, East Prairie, a team that I have on my top ten list. We potentially will get to that here uh, later on in the show. If not, we will post that on social media as well, our top ten list for girls and boys. But uh, East Prairie with a 47-44 victory against Kennett. And the Fountain City Classic in the semis yesterday, or last night, Sykes to 91, Ford Zumwalt West 44, Cape Central 73, 
San Jin 33. So that'll set up a championship game of Sykeston and Cape Central tonight. So that'll be a fun one in DeSoto, Missouri, in the Fountain City Classic. And then also in the Rolla Duke Herbert Classic in Crystal City, Popper Bluff defeating Saxon. I'm sorry, Saxony Lutheran defeating Popper Bluff 57 to 50. So we'll we'll circle around, go back to the girls here for just a moment. And uh, Clay, about the conference tournament, Notre Dame winning over Jackson. Just your quick thoughts on that contest. It definitely wasn't easy if you're Notre Dame. Jackson came out. I mean, Angela Fulton had them playing excellent defensively, obviously. The other night against Kennett, Notre Dame really took advantage of their interior scoring and getting the ball inside of Nevaeh Lucius and Olivia Wagner, the Delta transfer, had a big game against Kennett. And then you look at last night, Jackson, excellent, was fronting Lucius in the post. Notre Dame could not get the ball in. And anytime they did get the ball into Lucius, there were four and five defenders swarming her. And they made life difficult on Notre Dame in the first half. I had a 30-19 lead going in to the locker room at halftime. Holland Williams had five threes in the first half, and I think if you're Notre Dame, it was maybe a little bit of shock coming coming into the locker room at halftime. And even with six minutes left in the fourth, Rusty, I mean, Notre Dame was still trailing by 11, and they just, talking to Kirk Beller after the game, they just started going to the basket, going to the basket, and they ended up, you know, chipping away at the lead and with down a 40-38 to 38 with a couple minutes left. Bree Rubel hit a big three to give them a 41-40 lead, and Notre Dame didn't look back from there, but, I mean, you got to give credit to Jackson because the way they played defensively, I mean, was excellent, and they had Notre Dame all out of sorts there in the first half. So, again, they just continue to just keep winning. Made it to the state Final Four last year. They lost two seniors with Notre Dame and Anna Garner and Tori Rubel, who's now at UT Martin with her sister, Lexi Rubel. But, uh, you know, hey, they still have some more Rubels. The Rubel twins, Nevaeh Lucius, you mentioned, and also uh, Olivia Wagner uh, moved in from Delta, new to the program. So, they're still locked and loaded, a very young team, a team that doesn't have any seniors on the roster, Clay. But uh, like you said, Jackson kind of snake-bitten a little bit against Notre Dame. Look, they're going to have some other chances this year uh, to maybe get back at them. So we'll see. I think those are going to be some fun games coming up later on of the season, Jackson and Notre Dame. And, um, you know, they'll, Notre Dame's going to stumble at some point. But uh, what do you do at the end of the year? That's the, the most important thing. But, again, uh, shows that the conference continues to remain strong. Is there a better like? Is there anything better right now if you're a basketball fan in Southeast Missouri? I mean, on both the boys and girls side, it just feels like there's I mean neck and neck action every night. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of good games going on. It's it's kind of been a fun opening couple of weeks for high school basketball and a lot of good teams in the area. So it'll be fun to follow. We're gonna talk a little bit more about that, Clay. So we're gonna take a break. When we come back, we're gonna touch base with. Your guy, your buddy, and my buddy as well, that's Tony Capabianco of uh, the Southeast Missouri, and he's going to join us, talk a little bit more of some high school basketball, and he's going to touch on Saxony and Popper Bluff in a game in which he was at last night. So that's coming up next, so stay with us. More of the SEMO Scramble on SEMO ESPN. Welcome back into the SEMO Scramble here on SEMO ESPN Radio. And we're happy to be joined here on the hotline with uh, the Southeast Missourian's own, and that's Tony Capabianco. So, Tony, thanks for joining us this morning. How's it going, man? My pleasure. Just have my morning coffee. Hey, had your morning. You're ready to go then, huh? Yeah, it's a lot easier. This is a great month for me to wake up in the morning because they built that tree right in front of my apartment. <laughs> yeah, there we go. It just... <laughs> Get you get get you going. So yeah, yeah, imagine the town making like a landmark right in your front yard. 
Well, hey, I know that you were uh, covering some high school basketball last night, Tony. I want to touch into that. Uh, you've had a chance to, you know, cover some of the different schools throughout the, you know, first couple of weeks of the season. So I guess first off, I want to talk about the game that you were at last night. I guess you were at a couple of games, but you were at the uh, the Duke Herbert Classic there in Crystal City. You saw uh, St. Vincent falling to Jefferson, and then also Saxony Lutheran, a team that, uh, you know, I think could be a team that you could watch out for this year as they got a victory over Popper Bluff, 57-50. of 50. So uh, touch on those games, Tony, and, and what did you see from uh, from that tournament? Well, I'll get St. Vincent out of the way. They've only had like three practices because all their players were on the football team, and they just happened to start the basketball season surrounded by teams that they beat during football season. So it always felt like they were just trying to get revenge on everybody. They're not, they're not where they are yet. Peyton Stratton can shoot the three, but they just need more time to figure themselves out. The head coach thinks that by their Christmas tournament at Valley, they'll have a better idea what they'll be. But I'm more impressed with uh, Saxony Lutheran because before they ran into Charleston, which was everyone's buzzsaw for the most part in Class 3, they were on like a 14-16 to 16 game winning streak. Yeah. And the properties of what made that team great at the end of last year are still there this year. And as long as they got John Hartman shooting from the three-point line, which I think, if I remember, he shot like five or six three-pointers against Popper Bluff to win that game. He shot early. He shot in the third quarter, and then he got the free-throw line in the fourth to maintain the lead. As long as that guy's going, and he's tall, and he got Ed, Luke Edgemeyer at the paint, who could also, but he could also shoot himself, that actually might be the best local team that that you don't see the Southeast Urban. Yeah, and, you know, we saw Hartman, you said he made five made threes last night, 23 points for Saxony, Luke Egemeyer with 15, Blake Gabler with 11, and uh, Hartman and Egemeyer with the all-tournament team. So, again, those are two players that uh, look to have pretty good seasons, right? Yeah, this is a team that's going to – they've won their first tournament in years, which is crazy to, to believe. I think the team will end up being one of the best, at least in Cape Girardeau, but – I think this is a year, if their district is the same, potentially they could win districts this year. Well, it feels like, too, Tony, you mentioned it. I mean, Charleston was who they ran into last year. No P.J. Farmer. It kind of feels like that district might be wide open. And Saxony, maybe the most experienced team in that district, like you said, if things stay the same. And you kind of said you think they're going to win it. I mean, what is the, the ceiling for this team in your mind? I think they're going to win two rare things in high school, Missouri high school basketball. They can shoot threes, which you don't see that, that often, and they're tall. You see a lot, of, a lot of schools their size. You forget that there's actually tall players playing basketball in this area. They're one of the tallest guys who are actually athletic. And I think Edgemeyer and, and Harden, Harden alone, I count as one of the best duos in this area. Yes. There's two things they do that's rare. Yeah, I actually was going to mention that too. That you know they they do return some size, and uh, they're a team that plays really hard too. I can remember that from last year. But their district looks like this: Tony, Charleston, Kelly, Notre Dame, who's now in Class Three, Saxony, Scott City, Valley Catholic, and Woodland. Boy, that is a tough district. Yeah, just when you saw the, it was wide open. <laughs> yeah, I I, I saw. I'm, I'm bullish on, on Scott City because 
they returned everybody. They were playing well last year, and now they got a six foot six guy or six five who's all who's kind of in the same mold as as the guys at Saxony. Tall, athletic, and shoot from outside. So that's a dynamic that they didn't have before. And then I saw Woodland at their tournament, and this like small ball to the max. Everybody could score, and everyone could shoot, and they were just swarming to pass the entire competition. They played really well against Greenville to win their tournament. That's a team that you could see make a dark horse run in the, in the Christmas tournament here. I think this is going to be the most exciting, uh, as far as like top to bottom, the most exciting district in our area. Tony, you know, building off that a little bit, just expanding the conversation. I know when you uh, when you put together our coverage plans, you take a lot of you know the small school basketball in your mind. Just mm-hmm. kind of looking, you hinted at Woodland, Scott City, Saxony. What small schools do you think, kind of building off those three, are maybe some to watch out for this year? I think Woodland offensively is going to be amazing. I like the seniors from Oak Ridge with the, the Holbeck brothers and Connor and, and Brock and, and Ty Wilson. Um, I like Scott City. I think the senior class from Chaffee is going to be impressive with um, Blake Yarbrough, who it has not been a, a factor his, his first three years. But now he's finally like big enough and strong enough to have a unique presence at the page. I think that's about it. As far as like, small schools go, I think that's about it. Those, those, especially those from like that you will see in, in the Christmas tournament. I'm kind of drawing a blank on everybody else, but oh, Kelly will also be, yeah, pretty good as well. As far as some of the girls, I know Delta is expected to have a, another, you know, excellent season. They just reload and reload every year. Uh, what are some other maybe girls programs? You know, I think that the Kelly girls might be you know, pretty decent. Saxon Lutheran girls as well. Portageville, Kelly, Woodland. So what are, who are some other girls' programs that maybe you want to keep an eye out for? Well, St. Vincent had a crazy run last year, and it was almost through all underclassmen. So they're a year older and a year better. So that's another team to watch out for. In fact, they, I think, no, correct, they play Saxony Lutheran on Monday. So that's a game to watch. Delta plays defense like a swarm of bees, and they haven't let up at all. But – a big factor of their success last year is now at uh, Notre Dame. So if you didn't think Notre Dame can get any better, now they got something from Delta. Cape Central is still a work in progress, but they got a player from New Madrid who's already their best scorer in uh, Imani Summers. That's someone to watch. And after your show, the Red Devil Invitational starts in Chaffee, and I expect Scott City to win that outright. So there's a few schools to watch out for. Oh, also, Oak Ridge. They made a lot of history um, as far as program goes. So winning 10 games last year to down 4-1 and one currently. And Reagan House are top players. So that's another small school to watch. You know, building off that, too, I had the chance to watch uh, Chaffee Girls the other night. They're a young team, but that's a, that's a freshman group there that obviously just went on a deep run. And softball, they have some winning pedigree. I think Chaffee uh, could be a fun girls team to watch in the years to come as well. And that little seesaw, right? You, you, just, you watch the boys' games for the seniors. You watch the girls' games for the freshmen. You're watching the, pre, the all-in, present, and the future. It's pretty nice to, what they got going on down there. Are you a fan of this time of the year, Tony? You know, are you a big, you know, basketball fan? Uh, I, I don't know. Also, too, like, what are some of the, uh, you know, tournaments or, or teams or some of the stories we, we may be seeing on the, in the Southeast Missouri and SEMA ball coming up? I've learned to, to like basketball, and I like and I think December is my favorite month because 
it all happened so fast. So right now we have the Southeast, uh, the, the SEMO Conference Tournament that's taking place in Sison next week. And I see that as like a, as a, a preview for the big Southeast Missouri and Christmas Tournament coming up at the end of the month where you see where, where Jackson stands, where Notre Dame stands, where Cape Central stands. And, they will, and in fact, there will be a preview for that tournament tonight where Cape Central takes on Sykeson right. in uh, the tournament to Soto. And Sykeson is supposed to be the odds-on favorite to beat everybody in the SEMO conference because they got their guys coming back and P.J. Farmer from Charleston, as well as the defending Class 3 state champions in Madrid. So I, look, I think that tournament, especially a gym like Sykeson, is pretty fun, fun to see all that stuff. And we kind of missed out on like other tournaments from that involve our Perry County schools, like the Valley Cat, the Valkyries tournament. And I think there's something else that goes on in St. Genevieve. But I just like this how we start. We start at Woodland, and then we start, then we go to Sykeson, and then we take a little bit of break, and then the Christmas tournament. So this is a, definitely a great way to to start. Tony, you're uh, you're going up to DeSoto tonight, correct, for Cape Central Sykeson? I'm fifty fifty on that. So I got a. Happy to take care of. So, regardless, what is your prediction here for uh, Cape Central Sykes tonight? Obviously, Cape Central's a little banged up. Uh, and like you said, we could be seeing these teams meet three and four times this year just because they are in the same district. Do you have a prediction for tonight's matchup? I think it'll be competitive, but I think Sykes will win out. Still don't know what, what um, Cape Central truly has going on. They do have a guy going to SEMO to and Jay Reynolds, who's a, a really talented three-point shooter. And they're still trying to like find. I guess I'm, I haven't seen them play, but I'm sure they're trying to still figure out how to make up for for Markel Murray not being being healthy or uh, Cam Williams moving on and graduation. I'm sure they're still trying to figure out what they have going on now. Whereas last year they were set and ready to go. All right, Tony, I'm gonna be posting this later on social media, but I want to get your thoughts on it. I'm gonna give you my top five. For the, for the boys, top five rankings, in my opinion, in the area for the girls. So see if you uh, think that you would replace somebody. If you like it, if you don't like it, see what you think. So for my girls, I have Notre Dame 1, Jackson 2, Delta 3, Kennett 4, Saxony 5. For the boys, I have Sykeston 1, New Madrid 2, Cape Central 3. I have Malden 4. And I guess with the win last night, I'll have to put Jackson, or Saxony Lutheran at 5. Do you like that? I have not seen Kenneth play, but they did they did beat Cape Central in the SEMO tournament. I I don't think it'd be it'd put me on the spot where I say, yeah, this team. Never heard of yeah, get out of here. But if I had to make an argument, I would say St. Vincent is a top five girl team. Okay. Good stuff. And and over the boys again? So Sykeston one, New Madrid two, Cape three, Malden four, Saxony. Uh, five. So I think Malden could be a sneaky, really good team this year. They were uh, ranked number one in their uh, tournament they had as well here in the, in the Boot Hill. I think that checks out. I usually cover small schools, and the one thing the small school guys lack is the height and athleticism that can compete with the big school. So I don't really have anyone that can say, yeah, I think they could beat these guys. I think this is a de- definitely a good top five. I think uh... – just touching on Kennett really quick, having the chance to watch them play this week, that's a fun group to watch. They're athletic, and they're quick, and they get up and down the floor. I think Kennett's a team that uh, I'm excited to see them play Jackson. I think uh, Kennett-Jackson, uh, I think it's coming up in like nine or ten days, actually. Uh, that'll be a fun matchup between those two teams. 
and just kind of looking. I agree. You know, Rusty said Notre Dame. Uh, Tony, what do you think when you look at Notre Dame? Obviously, you kind of hinted at it earlier with Olivia Wagner coming in there. It feels like with them being in Class 4, the sky might be the limit for that group. The thing that always made them formidable in girls' sports is they can do everything that any other good girls' team can do, and the majority of their starting lineup is above six feet. And they brought the tallest player from Delta over to their team to match up with the with the Ruble Twins and to match up with the name escapes me, but you know what I'm talking about the other girl who was a fr- stud freshman last year. Nevaeh Lucius, yeah. Nevaeh Lucius, yes. Those four alone will make Notre Dame the best team in this area, and it's great to see them in a the holiday classic coming up because it's always good to see what that uh, that size and what that team can do against the Delta squad that's the sum of their parts and sometimes when you ever watch them play against other schools you have a hard time telling what's more impressive their offense that scores 100 points or a defense that swarms and, and will hold you to zero points and a half like those, that, seeing those two go against each other is uh, always a treat especially the show me center alright Tony last thing we'll let you go What's again what's coming up on SEMO ball what's some of the stories you're going to be following and uh, what's what's going on this weekend well, we got the SEMO Conference Tournament this week. We'll have a little bit of coverage of the Red Devil Invitational Chaffee these few days. Wrestling, the dual, the first uh, dual meets are taking place in Cape Central Jackson this week. So that'll be interesting to see. And I think after that, those two games, and they get the Holiday Classic coming up the week after that, and they get the Christmas Tournament after that. So a lot of basketball. It just swarms the basketball for like the next three months. That's awesome. It's that time of the year. And should be a lot of fun. So, Tony, appreciate the time. Thanks so much for joining us this morning and some good info there. And uh, I tell you what, we'll be we'll be checking on your work again on the Southeast Missouri and all year long. Uh, my pleasure. All right. Thanks, Tony. Appreciate it, man. Have a good weekend. That was Tony Capabianco of the Southeast Missourian. But we have another guest coming up, so we got to take a break, Clay. And how about this? We have the play-by-play TV announcer for the Tampa Bay Rays. That is Dwayne Stats. He's going to be joining us next. We're going to be talking some Major League Baseball, get his thoughts on the Rays offseason. Maybe the Cardinals could be a trade candidate with the Rays for a guy like a Tyler Glasnow. How does that sound? I'm all for it, man. Maybe we can uh, we get Randy Rosarena in there as well. Hey, we'll find out. We're going to be talking to Dwayne Stats next. Folks, you do not want to miss it. Stay with us. You're listening to the SEMO Scramble on SEMO ESPN. Is a Rosarena reaching up and making the catch. Randy Rosarena angling back and to his left. And a swing and miss. Boy, how about that? Glass now dominating here in the second inning. He had story out in front. How about that? As that is the voice of Dwayne Stats, the TV announcer, broadcaster for the Tampa Rays on Bally Sports. So Dwayne Stats is our guest here this morning on the SEMO Scramble. Clay Harrell, Rusty Hendricks, and Dwayne, really appreciate the time for joining us today. How are we doing? 
Hey, it's great to be with you guys. Everything okay there? We're doing good. You know, I would say maybe you could say the temperatures right now are mild in about the, the mid-40s. I'm guessing that's a little bit different where you're at. A little bit. Uh, we've got some clear skies, and uh, the water at the beach is uh, inviting. And we'll, uh, you know, we'll be in the 70s at some point here and enjoy, uh, enjoy the climate. No question about that. All right. Well, Dwayne, one of the big reasons why I wanted to have you on is – because of some local ties to this area. So for those who don't know, what is your connection to southeast Missouri? Well, I, I, I made my uh, debut in southeast Missouri. I was born in uh, Advance and um, have um, still have, as, as you know, uh, family and friends in that area. We've really never left uh, the connections with southeast Missouri from uh, Advance, Cape Girardeau, Jackson, uh, all the way, you know, to the other way to Arab and Puxico and all of those areas, we put the, at one time or another a full court press on that. <laughs> and my, uh, you know, so our our families have been there, and my uh, parents were raised in that area. Paternal grandparents had nine children, and uh, you know, it's it's an amazing story. I think of of family when you think about uh, the conditions in which they lived and. Uh, uh, they raised nine children to uh, adulthood at a time when uh, infant mortality was a concern across the country. So, and, and that way, I feel uh, blessed to be here, and uh, I'm appreciative of uh, of our background. There's no question. A lot of people from there, hardworking people, good people. I think we're all blessed to have come from there. So, in a nutshell, that's it. You know, Dwayne, uh, this baby, aside from opening day, is the most exciting time of year for baseball fans. The winter meetings kick off tomorrow in Nashville. From your perspective, how active do you predict Tampa will be? And, you know, are there any areas that you've keyed in on that you think they might look to improve as these winter meetings well, get underway? You know, the Rays are always interesting in their moves because they're pretty tight-lipped about what they do. But uh, they, go to, uh, they go to these winter meetings with uh, an idea that uh, – you know, one of their, at least one of their big arms, Tyler Glass now, because of his contractual situation and, and <clears throat> excuse me, where he would be uh, a year out, he becomes a primary figure in their discussions. I think he's due somewhere around $25 million next year, and then would the year following uh, would be his free agent year. So they are, they're out there looking for, uh, like, I think everybody – starting pitching and and all of that but i think it's going to depend on what they uh, how that free agent market starts to shape up for other teams in regard to pitching as to their opportunities to move glass now and and for what you know they're going to want they're going to want multiple young talent in return for him so you mentioned you know tyler glass now and Obviously, the trade rumors have been surrounding him. You mentioned that he'll be making uh, his salary bumps up to $25 million for this next season. So do you think that that's a really strong possibility that he will get moved? I would be surprised if they did not move him, just given their track record and, and how they reload, rebuild. Um, I, I think, you know, that, that's a distinct possibility toward a probability. And I think there's also been some talk about uh, Randy Rosarena. And the only thing that you can read into that is 
they try to be they they would rather trade a guy a year or two years too soon than hold him and have something happen that would diminish his value and that's what this group it, it's been major part of their philosophy of building a team to do that and i so almost anything they do never surprises me when people even when there was a situation where maybe this this name has never come up and then there's a trade involving that guy you you'll always go back and try to reconstruct the thinking of the front office here that's how they have to build clubs and build teams that and and their farm system and not only by signing guys drafting well but in these trades that they make and and a Rosarena was a pretty good example of that when they got him from the Cardinals to bring a guy who still has that potential has not fulfilled it at that point yet and give them an opportunity and watch them blossom and that's what they do with young talent on the glass now front you know obviously you kind of mentioned it every team's looking for starting pitching at this point but one team here obviously the Cardinals are have been big in the starting pitching market with a guy like Glass now, for Cardinals fans that maybe haven't got to see him pitch, if the Cardinals were to go out and make the move to acquire a guy like Tyler Glass now, what kind of pitcher would they be getting? Well, they they would be getting a number one starter. Um, you know, he is he's healthy now, pitched uh, extremely well, so he's a guy who you could build a rotation around. You know, they've already the Cardinals have already added you know some some veteran pitching and. Uh, Johnny Gray and Kyle Gibson and, uh, you know, uh, uh, Lynn as well. A guy a guy like Glass now who can be dominant, you know, and, and there aren't many pitchers now who are going to give you complete games. The approach has changed. So he's the kind of guy who, who could give you, you know, those five or six shutdown innings and then let the bullpen do what it does and match up the rest of the way, and that's, essentially the way uh, the Rays use him here. So kind of a two-part question, kind of circling back. You, you made a comment about you know the Rays maybe trying to get maybe a little younger, maybe a little more cost-controlled. That's kind of the keys is you know their payroll expected to, to get above kind of the, the threshold that they have been. Also, you know, there, again, rumors with Randy Rosarina. So number one, do you think there's truth that, that Randy Rosarina could be moved? Uh, how, you know, how strong of a possibility is that? And the number two, kind of honing in on what you know the Rays are really looking for as far as you know trade chips coming back in return. Yeah, I I, I really believe this team. You know, you know, you never say never when it comes to uh, what this team may do or who might be involved in uh, trade discussions. So when Randy's name came up, it was not uh, not a surprise to the point where you know people were um, taken aback by that because they've shown that they will make deals and and utilize anybody you know on the roster to do that and and what they always look for you know they because there's some uncertainty on the roster now but they they always look for young talent normally let's let's say they would make a three for one deal involving glass now and I'm sure they would want uh, a talent who probably wouldn't play in the big leagues for a year or two, let them develop in the minor leagues, 
and then a couple pieces that would allow them to put them on the major league roster and and contend. I mean, they their aim is to contend every year, which in the uh, American League East can be a, a little bit of an issue. But they're, they're still looking to rebuild and contend, and I think they would look for they, they would look for an offensive piece somewhere. And uh, so I, I think they're open to any discussion because this, the one trade they would make involving Glass now probably would not be the only move that they would make. So if they don't get everything they want in that deal, you know they'll have their eyes on another deal somewhere where they could pick up that. And and just in terms of what what you'd think they would be looking for, catching is one. They In fact, they have only Renee Pinto on the major league roster as a catcher. Now, they, they have their eye on a backup guy uh, because Pinto would be probably as close as they come to an everyday catcher. I mean, nobody's going to run out there and, on this club and catch 130 games. So Pinto would probably be in the in the neighborhood of catching 100 to 110 games and they'd want somebody else behind him and that's just the nature of how they construct the team it feels like you know the tampa bay rays when they make a trade they know maybe they see something the team that they're acquiring them from didn't see is that something that you think maybe teams second guess when tampa bay wants a prospect because i think the cardinals are all too familiar with giving up a guy maybe too early in tampa bay uh making a name out of them well if i were a an opposing general manager, I would be cautious. Uh, you know, they, there's no question about that. They, uh, they do their homework uh, as well as anybody I've ever seen. And I think, you know, uh, I guess opposing general managers and front office personnel have to go in with the idea of, all right, if, if we're acquiring this one guy, that's the piece we need, like in glass now, and you're willing to maybe give up something and not be so concerned about what you're giving up as to, you know, are, are you getting a piece that's going to complete your own team and help your team compete? You know, the Cardinals have already added some pitching and a guy like glass. Now he'd be, he'd be a major piece. There's no question uh, on that team and in that rotation. So, uh, and I'm positive the Rays have done their homework in terms of who they would be partial to not only on the Cardinal major league roster, but, you know, in their farm system as well. They, they're, they're pretty thorough in, in doing that. And they have added guys in deals as almost throw in. You would think that's just a throw in guy. And they, they turn out to be guys who have contributed toward a, a winning situation here. So they're very meticulous about that. Very thorough. And I, they, the other side of that is I think, while they may have led baseball or been out in front in some of the things that they've done, the rest of the game is catching up and doing the same kinds of things, which makes that chess game of making a deal even more interesting, I think, than it's, than it's been in the past and more sometimes more difficult to make those trades. TV voice of the Tampa Rays, Dwayne Stats, joining us for just uh, maybe another minute or so, but... I wanted to ask you, what's the latest you've heard on shortstop Wander Franco? You know, it's from from the time that all of that came up about Franco, it has been very quiet. Uh, same thing. Uh, even the team, uh, the team has had nothing to say about that. It's almost 
they're treating it as if it's completely out of their hands, and they've made very few comments other than they're they're in the dark about that, about the possibility of him being back or not being back. And you can imagine the speculations all over the board that, you know, he'll never return or, you know, he'll return at some point. And, and, no, and literally, no one knows. I mean, we've got a couple of beat writers down here who uh, are pretty thorough. And, I mean, they're, they're just like uh, the rest of us. We, nobody really knows when and or if he'll be back. And that's a major loss as well at shortstop and, you know, potentially at third base probably later in his career. But no one really knows. And that's a, that's a big piece. He's, a, he's an interesting guy. It was kind of surprising to, to hear any of that that took place in a way because he seems to have been singularly focused on playing baseball. And uh, there, there was so so who knows? I mean, it's a big part of his life, and I I, I don't know how much, but I, I had heard that he's he has played some baseball at home in the winter, but I other than that, that's all I've heard, and and have no uh, real feel for him being back with this club anytime soon. Dwayne, just the last question we got for you before we get you out of here. We appreciate you joining us this morning. Uh, you know, looking back at your time growing up in the Midwest, any fond memories that stick out to you about your time here? Well, I, I've always thought that uh, the Central Time Zone was a great place to grow up. I think it gives you a, a great sense of, of normalcy to compare and contrast with, you know, the rest of society. And, and just the fact that, uh, you know, we, we talked a little earlier about family and and how important it was and uh, I, I could not ask for a better foundation not only as a you know prof- from a professional end but it all begins on a on a personal and spiritual end I believe and you know to have come from people who had great work ethic who who had great faith and all of those things that you would want and then Certainly, nobody ever handed any of them anything. What they, what they got, they worked for, and I think if you hand that work ethic and that approach to life itself, you can't you can't have anything better than that. And so, growing up in in the Midwest and coming from that area, hardworking people, bright people who who have an idea of what it requires to uh, to live a decent life and and to survive, that, that's what those all of those people are, and I'm grateful to have come from from that group. It's really uh, it, it, it certainly helped me in figuring out what I wanted to do and trying to accomplish it. Well, from uh, one advanced native to another, I really appreciate the time this morning. I know I'll have to touch base with my dear friend Glodina Stat, still living in the area, so I have to get yeah. her to, to listen to listen to this interview, but. I, again, I really appreciate the time. I told you earlier, you know, off air that I really enjoy your work and, and you as a broadcaster. I grew up listening to, to Jack Buck. He was my favorite growing up, but uh, you're a guy that I really listen to and try to emulate as well. So, again, I really appreciate the time and it really means a lot to you joining us this morning. Well, I appreciate it. Look forward to doing it again sometime and uh, and say hello to Aunt Glodina for me. She's, she's the best. I will she's, do that. Out of that. Out of that generation, she and my mother are the ones who are um, 
who are still up and around, and uh, you know we uh, we rely on uh, on their perspective uh, quite often. All right. Have a good day. I know you got to get back to to doing some things at home, but again, appreciate the time and enjoy that Florida weather. We shall. Thank you very much. Good to be with you guys. All right. Thank you, sir. Okay. Bye bye. All right. That was Dwayne Stats. Boy, we're going to react to his interview on the other side. Good interview there, and a lot of things to maybe think at. And hey, we can speculate a little bit later. But again, appreciate his time, Dwayne Stats, the TV voice of the Tampa Rays, and again who uh, was born in Advance, Missouri. How about that? So uh, we'll touch on that interview coming up next here on the CMO Scramble. Clay Harrell, Rusty Hendricks here on the CMO Scramble. And once again, appreciate uh, Dwayne Stats, the TV voice of the Tampa Rays. And it'll be interesting to see what they do. Uh, you mentioned it. Uh, winter meetings, winter meetings coming up. That'll be in Nashville. So GMs coming. Obviously, the Cardinals have already made some big moves. They talked about obviously the main priority was getting pitching and trying to get back to relevancy uh, for next year. Clay. Well, they've done that. They got a really good pitcher in Sonny Gray. I think he's going to be a, a solid addition. They got some guys at the back end of the rotation and Kyle Gibson and Lance Lynn that they're going to provide innings. What kind of innings are they going to give you? We'll find out. But I do think that those are solid guys as well. But it still remains a question, you know, should they add another guy at the top of the rotation? They're still missing that number one, that ace-style starter. And, you know, one of the reasons why we wanted to have Dwayne Stats on is the opportunity potentially to acquire a guy like a Tyler Glasnow. You know, he talked about it. Um, he's, You know, he said that he truly believes that they will move him. So, he also said that they're looking for some younger guys. They're looking for catching help. They need catching help. I know it would be tough to to have them do this, but maybe they would, you know, Cardinals could trade away a guy like Yvonne Herrera for, you know, a Tyler Glass now. I don't know, but what are your thoughts on that interview with uh, with Dwayne? What stood out to you there, Clay? You know, I think just hearing him talk about the when I asked him about what kind of pitcher is Tyler Glass now, the first thing he said is you're getting a number one yeah. and he's healthy. I think that's kind of the two things that – that the Cardinals need, and I think signing guys like Lennon Gibson, they it gives you that flexibility to go get a guy like Glass now, who you know is probably going to end up on the injured list at some point. And not only that, the flexibility to innings, but I think, at least for me, it was an eyebrow raiser when it came out. Sonny Gray's only making $10 million this year. Right. That kind of gives Back you the loaded. financial flexibility to go out and get a guy like Tyler Glass now that's making $25 million this year. I think to me that was kind of telling that no matter what John Mozeliak's kind of telling the media, like we we got our three starters. I think they're still very active. Obviously, uh, Ken Rosenthal reported in the Athletic that they were in on talks with, for Dylan Cease. So obviously a little bit different pitcher than Glasnow, but it kind of I think shows that the Cardinals are done, and I think Glasnow's a real possibility. So do you go the starting pitching route, try to get a guy like that, or would you be more apt? You know, the bullpen for the Cardinals was not very good last year. They need some help in the back end of their bullpen. So are you more apt to say, look, you know, maybe we'll try to acquire another starting pitcher if need be at the trade deadline during the season? Maybe right now, from what you know, money that we have left, let's go look at bolstering the back end of the bullpen. Hey, and honestly, in my opinion, I, I even talked to my buddy Trent Moses last week. We both agree that they could use a little bit more offense. I know everyone's high on the offense. I think that they have a solid offense, but... I think they could use another guy as well, in particular in center field. So 
I don't know. What what are some areas on the margins that the Cardinals could do? You know, I think I think there's an avenue to kind of sure up your starting pitching. I mean, Dylan Cease, if you go that route, he's only making $9 million this year. He's still got two years of team control, I think, counting this year. You could go that route. You only had $9 million to your payroll. And then it maybe allows you to go get a guy on the market like Phil Maton. He's from Chatham, Illinois. I think it's only like an hour and a half from St. Louis. So maybe maybe you get him to come in on a hometown discount. He's been a big piece of that Astros yep. bullpen. And Victor I think, Neris, maybe. And I think anytime you can pull a guy out of a, a team like Houston's bullpen that has been so good the last couple of years, like I think that kind of bodes well for you. I think you could go out and you could get the Tyler Glass now. And then you maybe look at a reunion with a guy like Joe Kelly, or you kind of search around that maybe three, four, five million dollar mark in the bullpen. I've been high on trying to bring in Yamamoto. You don't think they're going to do it? I don't think Rusty, but they have options. I would love they, if they did. They have money, and I just think it's a matter of they can do both. It's just will they do both? <laughs> so in years past too, it seems like the Cardinals have waited. They've been, you know, Mo has always said, "Be patient, be patient," <laughs> and. They've, they have been aggressive. I'll give them that. You know, they've signed three pitchers. So now they have an opportunity to really, I guess, balance what they want to do. They have a an idea. I know they talked about in the press conference, Mo did, about delving into more of the trade market. They haven't really done that yet. They talked about it. But they have been in conversations, I believe, of late. I'm sure during the winter meetings they will be in more conversations. You know, obviously, kind of the two main guys that's swirling the most in trade chips for the Cardinals – Brendan Donovan, Nolan Gorman. I would love to see the Cardinals hang on to those two guys. You know, Tommy Edmond maybe another one, but uh, obviously to get good players, you have to give up good players, right? Uh, maybe it, those can be prospects as well. But it'll be interesting interesting to see what the Cardinals do. Again, they have a lot of different avenues and ways that they could go about improving this team. I do think they're not finished. I do think there's more to come, more things to do. What, what what will they do? That'll be the main question, though. Real quick before I, we switch gears here, I think looking you know at another team that maybe the Cardinals could get involved with is depending on what Blake Snell does. If he wants to, he sounds like he wants to go back home to Seattle. Seattle might be making one of their guys available, whether that's George Kirby, Bryce Miller, Logan Gilbert's been a name that maybe the Cardinals have yes, been linked please. to a little bit. I would love Logan Gilbert, and I think that's one of the only deals that you look at. And like I would be completely fine with giving up Nolan Gorman in a trade for Logan Gilbert. He's got, I think, four or five years of team control still. Great young pitcher of the Mariners organization. So if Blake Snell ends there, I think maybe if you're the Cardinals, you kind of start paying attention a little bit to what the Mariners are, are saying and who they're putting up available. It'll be interesting to see. Again, the winter meeting's coming up next week. That'll be in Nashville. We'll keep an eye on it as well. But before we get out of here, I want to talk a little bit about college football as some of the, the championships going on. Championship week in college football as we look at some of the matchups. So we saw last night a big win Clay for uh, Washington. They get that victory 34-31 to over Oregon, so that cements Washington's name in the college football playoff in the top four. You have the game, Georgia and Alabama at 3 p.m. today. That'll be a big one. Michigan and, oh, oh, I'm sorry, Michigan and Iowa at 7 p.m. tonight for the Big Ten Championship. Louisville and Florida State for the ACC Championship and the Big 12 Championship. Oklahoma State and Texas at 11 a.m. as well. So, what stands out there? I think, in my opinion, with kind of the the rumors with Florida State, you know, they're even their second string, their backup quarterback might not play in this game for Florida State. I think Louisville has the edge, probably gets it done over Florida State in this one. If that's the case, obviously Florida State's out. But if Texas wins at eleven and one, they got a good chance to maybe make it to the college football playoff. Yeah, and you want to get really chaotic. Like, let Alabama beat Georgia, <laughs> and then the committee's got their hands full. But, yeah, I think uh, 
I agree with you. I think Louisville's going to get it done. Obviously, Jordan Travis uh, with the gruesome injury a couple weeks ago, and if, if the second-string quarterback can't go, life obviously gets pretty difficult there for Florida State. But if they pull it off, I think they probably get in, they get in yeah. over Texas or anybody like that. But, yeah, I think Georgia, Michigan, Washington are probably in for sure. Um, and then it just comes down to that fourth spot, and, you know, I'm glad I'm not on the committee for that one. Yeah, I think the biggest de- deciding factor, what really going to be interesting, Clay, is if Alabama defeats Georgia and if Florida State defeats Louisville, what will the committee do? At that point, do you put in Alabama, you put in Florida State, who is undefeated. How can you leave out an undefeated Power 5 school? That'll be the interesting thing if the, that those two scenarios happen. Again, if Alabama beats Georgia and if Florida State defeats Louisville, what will they do? So interesting. Again, a big day in college football today. That'll be fun watching that. So, Clay, appreciate it, man. It's been fun. Thanks for joining me, and uh, it's going to be a fun ride going forward between the two of us. I'm excited, man. It was a good time. Obviously, great talking to Dwayne Stats, and uh, I think we're going to get out of here and go sit on our couch and watch college football all day. Sounds like a plan. So. <laughs> Uh, happy holidays to everybody, and uh, look forward to the Christmas season. And, again, a lot of high school basketball coming up, college football wrapping up as well. And, again, keeping an eye on the St. Louis Cardinals off season. So thanks to Tony Capobianco of CMO Ball and, again, of Dwayne Stats, the TV voice of the Tampa Rays. So Clay Harrell, Rusty Hendricks saying so long for the final time. You've been listening to the CMO Scramble here on CMO ESPN. You've been listening to the SEMO Scramble on SEMO ESPN. Tune in every Saturday morning from 9 to 10 for a dash of hometown pride with Rusty Hendricks and Jess Todd right here on the SEMO Scramble. Yes, don't miss the latest news, scores, and stories that matter most to local sports enthusiasts. From the Blue Heel and beyond. Right here on SEMO ESPN, 1220 AM, 93.5 FM, the SEMO ESPN app, and at SEMOESPN.com.